0: John 15:18 We're going to read through 25. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. We, as God's people, are to be the most unique people on the planet. We are to live starkly different from no matter the culture, the continent, the language. We are to live different than any other people on the planet because of our citizenship and also because of who has freed us and what has been done on our behalf. And so today we're going to look at this uniqueness and what this uniqueness uh, comes to us and the reality of how the world responds to who we are. I want to give you three realities of what is true today on the planet. Again, no matter where you are, if it's in Central Asia, the Far East, the Middle East, or Europe, or here, South America, wherever it is, the reality of people in regard to their perspective of God. One is this, there are those like most of us in the room, or hopefully all of us in the room, who affirm the greatest reality of life, and that is life in Christ, a relationship with Jesus. And so there are many of us who, all over the planet today, who have already worshipped, And they have gathered together, or they are gathering now, who love the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And we are different than others because we love those who do not love us. We love those who don't believe. We befriend those who aren't in the faith, and we share with them. And we do this whether they show love in return to us or not. We know that we are just passing through to our ultimate home, for our citizenship is not here. It is of the kingdom of heaven, And so we live for him. We live in line with his word while we wait until we reach our final destination. And then there's another group of people all over the planet today. And they don't hate Jesus, nor do they love him. They just see him as totally irrelevant to their lives. They don't think about him much. Maybe occasionally there might be a thought. And there are untold billions in the world who do not outwardly hate Jesus at all. But they do believe that Jesus is simply irrelevant to have anything to do with their life. They never give Him a thought. And because they are not for Him, they are not with Him and they are ultimately against Him. And so many of us know people like this. Some of us were this way. And there's even the potential that there are some in the room this morning who are this way. And then there's a third group of people on the planet today. And there are those who genuinely hate the name of Jesus, and hate those who affirm the name of Jesus. And millions of those are here. In our day and time, we'll talk a little bit more about this later. Uh, In our day and time, it's um, radical atheists who hate the name of Jesus and uh, the teaching of Scripture and His people. And then many countries who have a Hindu dominance or Muslim background um, hate Christ and hate Christians, not all Muslims are that way, by the way, but um, as many of them will affirm Jesus. But there are aspects in the Muslim world that hates Christ and Christianity. So many, you look at our culture today. Many people in our culture today who are unbelievers and don't believe they're okay with Christianity until we take a stand and until we stand on the truth. Until we begin to speak the truth, and that is where a big difference begins to come. So. We are at times accused of being intolerant. Um, sometimes Christians are aimed at being canceled and taking off of something and, and not being listened to. But we're going to talk today from f- and looking at some straightforward words from Jesus about this area. This is really important. In case you've ever wondered why there's so much hostility at times toward Christians on the planet, um, Jesus tells us why. And then he's going to give us some counsel as to how do we live in the midst of a world like that. But I want to give a bit of perspective as we begin. Based in some words that Jesus himself spoke. That we need a perspective in the midst of this reality that is important for us. And this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 and 12. This is what he says. Blessed. Blessed. Let's say it again. Blessed are you who are followers of Christ. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Listen how he says, respond. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what we see in our day and time in the 21st century is nothing different that has not preceded us in all the other 20 centuries. It happened to the apostles. It happened to Jesus. It has continued to happen that there is a hatred for Christ and a hatred for those who affirm Jesus. But there is a blessing when this happens to us and a perspective that you and I need to have and embrace in the midst of this reality. So let's walk through this, and the first thing I want to share this morning and talk about is I want to talk about the hatred of God, the hatred of Christ, and its long history. And this comes from the mouth of Jesus. Look at verse 18 with me. We will also this morning go to 1 Peter 3, and then later we'll go to 1 Peter 4, but let's, uh, we'll be in John 15 now, and, and I'll, I'll tell you when we will head to those other places. So look what Christ says in verse 18. If the world hates you, that word if is not, um, maybe this might happen. A better translation would be, since the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. The Greek word for if means the world will. This is a reality. This is what will happen. Since the world hates you, you need to know this, that it has hated me first. And so Jesus went away, he left his people here, they began to share, there continued to be more believers, we are here today. So the world continues in this same mindset. This is, by the way, a prophetic word from Jesus. This is a prophetic word from him saying, this is the reality of what it's going to be like for some of the people who are followers of me. That you will be hated, and you will be hated because I was hated first, and so This will come to you. When Jesus speaks of the word world here, and he uses this word here, he uses it six times in verses 18 and 19. Why does the world hate? Well, John later will also affirm this when he writes his first letter. And he says in 1 John 5, 19, We know that we are from God. This is one of the reasons the world hates us. As we have been born again, we are from God. We have been taken out of the world. We are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Who does the evil one hate? Hates God, hates, and hates God's people. So the world, as Jesus uses, this word is the Satan, is the is the realm of the world in which Satan rules. And the world lies in his power. He stands against the rightful reign and the rule of Christ. This is the Jesus is referring to the system of man that is led by Satan, and that is man-centered. And so he says, this world will hate you, but you need to keep in mind that it has hated me first. And in many places of the world, um, groups are and people are divided by these two things, those who love Christ and those who hate Jesus. You know, you look at our world today, and it longs to experience and express love. And yet the world will never, ever, 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 ever come to know what real love is. Because John writes to us that God is what? He's love. If you don't come to know Christ, who is love, then you will never know that. And so the world is confused about all of this. It's confused about our ethics, our perspective of God and morality and, and all kinds of aspects of things. And so we are looked at strangely, but this, this is not new to us. This has been the case for the last 2,000 years. And sadly for the world is that God so loves the world. And that only in Him, in Christ, can they find what true experience of love is. And so instead of loving Christ and knowing the joy of eternal love, the heart of humanity has become a breeding ground over the last couple of thousand years, for a hatred of God and a hatred of God's people. It's been this way from the beginning. If you'll remember in Genesis chapter 4, two brothers come. They've been instructed to bring um, offerings to God. One brother's gift is rejected, one is accepted. The brother's gift is rejected, is in the field with his brother later, and murders his brother, and Abel becomes the first martyr. For he did what was righteous, his brother didn't do what is righteous, and so he is killed because of that. We come to Genesis chapter 6, and Noah's generation hates God, lives anti-God. As a matter of fact, this is what what Moses writes in Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So there has been this way from the beginning. It continues even in our day. There are people who are experts on this. And uh, um, I, th- through the years, I, I read a lot about the persecuted church and, and things of that nature and pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. But it has been estimated that since the time of Christ and since the cross, it's been estimated that 43 million Christ followers have been martyred over the last 2,000 years. This, I know, is a firm statistic, could be potentially a little bit low, but over the last 25 to 30 years, 150 to 165,000 Christians are martyred every year. So this is a reality of what Jesus is speaking about to the apostles on this night before he is killed for the things that he said and the things that he did, teaching them about this. Now, I want <clears throat> to frame this teaching this morning before we move on to the next point. From John 13, 1 to John 15, 17, Jesus uses the word love 23 times. From John fifteen eighteen through 17, the end of 17, he's going to use the word love seven more times. So there's two bookends of the upper room in the Garden of Gethsemane teaching from Christ that highlights the love that God has for us and the love we are to have for one another. And in the midst of that, he stops and says that, yes, I love you. You are to love one another. But I want to remind you about a real reality that because you are loved by me and I've called you out of the world and I have brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The world is not going to applaud that. It is not going to affirm that. It's not to, at times going to even affirm your life. And they, they will aim to take your life. And so so in the midst of all the talk of love, and there's a lot of it in, in, in John 13 through 17, Jesus also wants to bring us to a reality to see that what we sometimes can experience in our own lives. So the world hates Christ. The world system that lies in the, hands of the evil one. And, and, and even in the midst of that, I just want to say this this morning, we should continue and must continue to testify regardless. We are in this room this morning because generations before us didn't quit telling the story of Jesus, even in the midst of a world that doesn't embrace that. So we are to be known for loving God and loving one another. That's clear from Jesus' teaching. We love God, we love one another, and we love a lost world even though they do not love us back. Now, the world is known for this. It is known for, ultimately, a hatred of God and the truth of God because it doesn't want to walk in that. And the world also is known for hating Christians. And again, as I said, as we start at this point, this is a prophetic word from Jesus. This is going to be the case. Just read the book of Acts. You come to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. You get to Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles are arrested. They're put into a prison. Um, during the night, an angel comes and says, Hey, get you out. They are brought in uh, the, from the temple. They're preaching and they're brought in before the religious leaders again. They are persecuted there. You come to Acts chapter 7, Stephen is dead. Acts chapter 8, um, Paul is leading and ravaging and part of a, a, a deep persecution to all of the church, and the church is thrust from Jerusalem. It goes on. Acts chapter 9, Paul is persecuting the church. You come to Acts chapter 12 where the first, one of, first of the 12 apostles is killed. His name is James and he is murdered by the sword. And you read the rest of the book of Acts and that's the case. And you read the rest of church history and it has been the case. And so, so the hatred of God, the hatred of Christ, the hatred of God's people has a long history with it. And by the way, it's going to have a future to it as well. This is not going to stop. Now eventually... Christ is going to return. He's going to set up a millennial kingdom. Uh, We will rule with him as as it teaches there. And there will be calm and peace for a while. But if you remember after the millennial reign, Satan is unleashed. The demons are unleashed. The the nations of the world gather against the people of God to fight again. Why? Because the world and its system hates God. So, So this is the first principle Christ wants us to see here in regard to this area is this is just a long history. It began with Satan's rebellion. It started as well when we rebelled. Our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to sin against God, and the battle has been raging ever since. So let's look at the second thing this morning. So it, since that's the case, secondly, this morning, we should not, therefore, expect to be loved by the world. The world is not going to love us. And so Jesus says that. Look at 19. And he tells us why the world doesn't love us. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I want to give three things here. Three important principles from Christ's words in verse 19 that are important for us. The world only loves its own it only loves its own look at a talk show you seen a talk show listen to a talk show on the radio listen to something you can have people on there the host maybe would be interviewing somebody who's of the world and everything that person of the world says what do they do oh you're awesome you get a conservative you get a believer really believer not a conservative you get a believer on that and they stand for biblical truth or they speak biblical truth or you get somebody Um, somewhere else who speaks the biblical truth and the world doesn't applaud that it rejects that and it extends hatred and reviling of that jesus says that here's why here's why that's the case we are not of the world and because of that the world has in its nature to rebel against god and to hate god and to, to be against those who speak the truth and so at times There's affirmation of Christianity until Christians take a stand about something. And then there's hostility toward Christians in regard to that. So Jesus just tells us here that we have to have another view. We will be hated, and in today's world there'll be canceling of Christians. You might even be fired, or you will be forgotten. And this world is deeply, deeply grounded in sin, therefore it runs on the nature of sin, that's its thinking, that's its fuel, is to run in this. And so the world grounded in sin, therefore, naturally honors humanity. It does not honor God, and it will not. Maybe it'll give a little bit of credence that direction at times, but for the most part, it won't. It will The world will love its own, but we must love one another. So the first thing that Jesus says here under don't expect love from the world is this is the world only loves its own it's not going to ultimately love Christians and so secondly Christ and here's why Christ followers are chosen out of the world and we are hated because we are not of the world and so Jesus says that in the second part of 19 but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world The world loves that which is not of God while Christ followers value holiness and righteousness and truth that is established in Scripture. So we have been chosen by Christ. We have entered into a relationship with Him. In that, we have been separated and we have been called to live a holy life that has a totally different set of principles and ethics than the world. And because of that, Paul affirms this and writes this. This is Colossians 1.13. This is what has happened to us. And this is why the world doesn't get us and understand. Colossians 1.13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise his name that that's happened for us. We were once in the kingdom of darkness, and through the great work of Christ, we have been, He opened our eyes, and He did this work, and he, he put us in the kingdom of His beloved Son. But when that happens, when that movement happens, the world no longer gets that. Now, this was the case with my life. I was 17 when I came to know the Lord. I was a smart partier in high school. My dad was my principal. My friends talked too much in the classroom and the teachers would hear my friends talk and they would go tell my dad and I would get in trouble. I used to think my dad was God a little bit or had a a deep channel because he knew things that I thought I'd kept in secret. But here's the reality. When we come to know Him and we enter into this relationship with Him, when we are moved from that place to this place, I saw it immediately as a 17-year-old. Things in my life had to be different. I knew what I was doing, and I couldn't continue to be that way. I had been changed. I had been moved into the kingdom of the sun, and so I needed to have new decisions, and immediately that brought hostility in relationships. I didn't hate my old friends. I wanted them to come to know what I wanted to know, and I shared that with them, but they were, some of them, very hostile to that, and I just want to say this to us. This is just the reality as an aspect of our discipleship we are going to be seen as strange we're going to have things said about us we might lose a job we might need to quit something or whatever the case may be because of our concern about how we live our lives this is not new for us it has been for the people of god this way throughout the centuries and particularly through church history the world's not going to understand the way we think. Why we value certain things. Why we are inflexible on certain cultural aspects that we're not going to give in. We're going to continue to stand strong. We are to be loving always. But we're also to love the truth. And that I means speaking it at times and standing for it. So Christians have been this way in every culture throughout church history. And I know this to be True that one of the great things in our country today are people like you and I. We are a blessing to this nation to love Jesus the way that we do, to want to walk into the truth. And so while we are a blessing, and maybe the world doesn't see it and our culture doesn't see it, I also want to remind us that, yes, we are a blessing, but we will continue to be a thorn in the side of our culture. It's just the way it is. You either know Him, Or you do not know him and there's a perspective and a life reality that is connected to that. So don't expect love from the world. Jesus didn't have Israel who should have loved him. Israel did not love him. It rejected him and is continuing even today in many ways to reject their Messiah. So, this reality is there. So, the world only loves its own Christ followers. The reason they do that is because we have been chosen out of the world and we are different. Here's the third principle: here is therefore the world hates biblical Christ followers. Wicked men and women will hate Christ followers. Now, listen to this. Did the Apostle Paul come to know this? He knew both sides of this, did he not? The Apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Acts 9, he becomes a Christian. You know what the first experience Paul has? He's persecuted. He's persecuting Christians in Acts 9. He becomes a believer, and the believers are scared of Paul, and they extend some persecution toward Paul and rejection toward Paul. Paul, read the book of Acts, experienced lots of rejection. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 20 The Holy Spirit comes to Paul and says to Paul, Hey, Paul, every city from now on that you go into, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Expect to be hated, persecuted, rejected in every place that you go to. This is in Acts chapter 20. And Paul says, The Holy Spirit testified to me that this is going to be the case in my life. And then later he writes this great letter called 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 11, He writes these words. He said, I have had far more imprisonments. I have had countless beatings. I have often been near death. Five times he writes in that chapter, I received the 40 lashes minus one from the hands of the Jews. Three times he says, I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned, he said. And then he uses the word eight times In 2 Corinthians 11, I've been in danger from this. Danger, danger, danger. He uses eight words of danger. So here's Paul. One of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. Such a model for us of what it looks like to love God. This was a reality for him. This was his reality. And so here's the persecutor who's become converted, who now becomes the persecuted. And we should not be surprised at this. Go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter three just for a second, if you don't mind. As you're turning there, uh, I'm going to read a couple other verses in line with this. John writes the same thing that Peter writes that we're about to see: First John 3:13, "Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you." Jesus in John 7, speaking to the religious leader, says, "The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil." So in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 14, or excuse me, 13 and 14. So let's read this, 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. And we'll make a couple comments here. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now that word good there is connected to godliness and righteousness in Scripture. So let's go back to 13. So now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for What is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So, so Peter asked this great question. Who is there to really harm us if we are zealous for doing good? And the answer is no one ultimately can really harm us. Why? Because if we are His, and we've been transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom and the domain of darkness, and we are born again, and we are in Christ, ultimately, who can harm us? End of Romans 8. What shall I say then? Shall famine, nakedness, the sword, all of this, shall anything be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No, Paul says, nothing in all of the world. Can separate us. And so ultimately, if we desire to do good, now let's talk about this word zealous that Peter writes here. If you are zealous for what is good. This word zealous means this, to be an ardent lover, or to burn with zeal, or to have a fire burning inside of you, to desire earnestly something. So with that in mind, let's read that verse again, first Peter 313. Now who is there to harm you if there is a fire burning inside you? for what is good connected to godliness and righteousness. and But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So don't have fear of them, nor be troubled. See, the truth of the matter is this, is that we will be passionate for Jesus, or we will be passive for Jesus. It's just the reality for many. Let me give you three things that are promised here from Peter, by God, to us for the persecuted here's the first one these will be up on the screen make sure as a christian if you're going to suffer that you suffer for the right reason don't suffer by being a thief being a christian and thieving don't suffer by being a christian and lying all the time and getting in trouble if you're going to suffer suffer for righteousness live biblically and if that costs you a job a relationship a friendship a position, whatever the case may be, a connection, that's okay. Suffer for the right reason. Secondly, here's the second promise. Suffer with the right perspective. So here's what Peter says, and it's what Jesus said. But even if you should suffer, verse 14, for righteousness' sake, for the right reason, there is a blessing. Here's the right perspective. You need to see this. We need to see this as a blessing in our lives. That same thing that I referred to a while ago in Acts chapter 5. So they've been put in prison. Guards are there in Jerusalem guarding the jail. An angel is sent by God during the night, opens the door. They walk out and says, hey, by the way, um, go to the temple and proclaim the gospel. So that's what they do. So during the night, they go to the temple. Daylight comes, they're in the temple, and all of the apostles are proclaiming the gospel. So the religious leaders gather together in Acts 5, and they're like, okay, go get the guys in prison. They go get the guys in prison, and they're not inside the jail cell, and nobody knows where they are until somebody comes back and says, hey, you know those guys you put in prison? Um, they're in the temple doing what you told them yesterday not to do. They're proclaiming the gospel. And So they go and get them, and they bring them before them. And so, this, so they're hostile toward the apostles. And then a guy named Gamaliel stands up. He was a great teacher of the Jews, not a follower of Jesus. But he says, hey, man, you know, in our history, recent history, there's been two uprisings. Remember that one, this guy, and then this guy, and both of them failed because they weren't of God. Let's just look at this in that way. If this is of God, we better not get in the way of it. And if this is of man then this thing that all these guys are proclaiming about Jesus, it will fall apart just like those other two. And so he kind of persuades them. They calm down, but then the religious leaders thought, well, let's just do a little extra. You know, yesterday we told them, don't say anything, don't preach anymore. And, it, and, and watch this. They beat all 12, including uh, the inference there is Matthias as well, who had been added. And when they walked away from being beaten, you know what they said in Acts 5? They counted it a blessing and a worthiness, and they rejoiced that they suffered for the name of Jesus. Peter knew about this. Paul knew about that. We have brothers and sisters on the other part of the world that we have relationships with. They deal with this reality daily. Persecution that is heavy. So the promise to the persecuted is this make sure you suffer for the right reason. That's for righteousness. Make sure you suffer with the with the right perspective, that there's a blessing connected with it, that if you are persecuted, you're blessed by God. God blesses this, and that we must suffer with the right response. That's the third thing there. And the right response is this: to not allow their misunderstanding about Christianity and about Christ and about God's people, to not let their fear of us move us to the place to live in fear of the persecution. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He says, listen, you're going to be blessed. So don't have a fear about what they want to do to your body. They cannot touch your soul. You are God's You are in his hands, and everything is okay. So so Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't let fear rule. Do not be affected with fear by the fear that they are trying to bring to your heart by telling you to not live this way and speak this way. Jesus said it like this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week when he, at the end of John 15, speaks about the Holy Spirit. But listen to these words. I love the reality of the Holy Spirit, that when Jesus went away, the Spirit came, and God dwells in us, and we have become temples of the Spirit, the temples of God. God lives in us. And there are moments in many believers' lives over the last 2,000 years that they are brought before rulers about to lose their life, and you would think that they would have such a fear and such a panic that they wouldn't know what to do and what to say. And you know what so many of them have said, and they've been recorded for us throughout history as a, as a fulfillment of what Jesus said. This is Luke 12, 11 and, 11 and 12. Jesus said, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious how you should defend yourself or even what you should say. You know why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, in that very moment, in that very minute, in that very instance what you ought to say the spirit helped believers who are under extreme persecution know what to do in those moments now let me emphasize this that doesn't mean that he shows up and gets every christian out of that moment some of them lose their life but he's present with them in the moment as they testify about who he is i don't know if you've ever read fox's book of martyrs it's a book you ought to read. Every, I think every Western Christian ought to read that book. Um, you ought to go, all of us ought to go on to persecution websites and read what's happening even in our day and time. And how believers in moments where you would think they ought to just be dominated by fear just die with bold declarations of their allegiance to the glory of Christ. So there's a long history of the hatred of God and God's people of Christ. And because of that, we should not expect to be loved by the world. That's what Jesus says there. Because we're not of the world, and because we're not of the world, don't expect the world to applaud us because we love righteousness. And yet, even in the midst of those moments, there is a promise to the persecuted to suffer for the right reason, for righteousness, suffer with the right perspective, knowing this, the persecution leads to and brings a blessing, and it should not lead to a fear in our lives, it should lead to a passion to live for him. Here's the third thing, verse 20. We are to expect the same treatment that Jesus received. So verse 20. Remember that I word, the, the word that I said to you, now he's referring to John 13:16. He said it earlier this e- on this evening. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me or since they persecuted me, guess what they're going to do to you? They will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now there's a, there's a little bit of light shown in here in the midst of this hatred. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, men, look at my life. You've been with me for three years. We've gone into some, some places here in Israel and they've loved me and responded well to me. So you'll experience that as well. You're gonna go to places of the world and you're gonna proclaim the gospel and God's gonna move in the place and people are going to embrace the things that you teach them. And so there's a blessing of that. But I also need you to know this man that just as as some sections people responded well and there was a blessing connected to that, you will also go some places and you will say certain things and they will not respond with a blessing. They will persecute you just as they have done to me. And that was the case with Jesus. There are certain places in Israel during his ministry that he went and nobody embraced what he had to say. They were against him. They fought him and didn't listen to the words and didn't watch the works as what they should have said, and they rejected him. And so Jesus here says this, man, I'm just telling you, you should expect the same kind of treatment that what you've seen happen to me. You should expect the same thing because you are my servants and a servant is not greater than his master, if this is what they did to me, then there will be times in your life that they're going to do this to you. So expect the same treatment as Jesus. And yet the hatred that the world has toward Christ and to his people should not stop us from what? Living the truth. Living and walking with God regardless. So if they persecuted me, they will do this to you, if they keep my word, they will keep yours. And so there's a good thing that happens, and sometimes there's another aspect of that that is more costly. Now I want to just pause for a moment, give a little, just a brief history thing. We're going to get back to this. In John chapter sixteen, one through four, Jesus comes back to the theme of, of uh, persecution. Again, I, I, spirit knows what he's doing when he write, wrote the scripture. Um, so we're going to have a we have a section on persecution today and the hatred of God. Next week, we have a section on the Holy Spirit helping. And then he goes right into a section of, I've said these things to you in John chapter 16 um, so that you know that they're going to come, but you know that you have a helper in the midst of those things. And so there's a bookend of, of hatred of God in the middle of the Spirit will be with you to help you. And we'll deal with that and talk about that um, next week. And we're going to talk more about persecution um, two weeks from now as well but let me just pause here for a moment and just remind us of some things as to why this has been the case throughout history the jews were the first to persecute jesus and the jews were the first people to persecute christ's followers so it started as a persecution of christ it moved on to his followers and then the gospel began to spread particularly with um the the death of stephen uh, and paul entering into that and 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 believers from jerusalem being dispersed and the gospel began if you read in the early part of acts began to move to central asia asia minor began to move west and persecution began to happen there still among the jews at times but also it began among the gentiles there and that lasted for a while and then rome got involved in regard to the persecution of christians and it lasted about 300 years it was pretty heavy-handed um christians said that jesus is lord and rome said no you have to say caesar is lord and christians were like no we're not saying that jesus is lord no you have to say caesar is lord Well, we're not saying that um and so there's strong persecution there christians were seen as not being loyal citizens of rome rome hated christians as they off, all, christians often spoke of we have another kingdom that we're a part of another citizenship and we have another king well you're not being loyal to caesar you are citizens of rome no we're actually citizens of another kingdom because of who our king is christians preached in the midst of rome for the first 300 years there is one god rome had many 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 gods and christians said they rejected every every god every idol every aspect of rome's religious system and so rome was pretty heavy-handed toward christians at that time some of the idol worship that took place in the temples throughout the Roman Empire was involved in sexual immorality and just debauchery and alcohol and and drunkenness and just incredible sick things that we that we would all be against and believers would not go to there and that yet there was an expectation from the Roman government that you would participate in this idol worship in some of these practices and Christians would not participate in those things they lived holy lives against the backdrop of a sexually depraved Roman Empire, which, by the way, is we're not fully there yet, but we are very, very depraved in this country. And that's why our lives are important to be lived in the backdrop of our darkness of our country to reveal that there's someone who can radically change a people. So all of that in regard to Christians in regard to Rome, led to a heavy-handed um, persecution. You get to the 2nd century, and a guy named Pliny, what a great name, but his name was Pliny, and he wrote to the emperor at the time. His name was Trajan. And a letter has been preserved that Pliny wrote to Emperor Trajan. Listen to this. Listen how, Listen how powerful the gospel can be. Pliny wrote to Trajan and said, The spread of Christianity has caused some temples to be empty. Roman temples in the cells of the animals for the sacrifice to drop. There were aspects where the gospel spread, particularly along the um, the Roman Empire. Every time they conquered a nation, they made the people become slaves. And one of the great fears that Rome had about Christianity was is this slave group of people were coming to faith in Christ. And they were being freed. And it was causing a lot of tension uh, within the Roman Empire. And so Pliny writes and just says this, the gospel has so permeated some aspects of this, people aren't going to the Roman temples to worship. How amazing is that? How powerful the gospel can be in the midst of a dark culture. And yet, in the first century, in the first 300 years, Christians were blamed for many things. If there was a natural disaster, um, if there were plagues, if there were famines, it was because of Christians. Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. The first three and a half centuries, the Jewish and the Gentile world hated Christ, hated Christ followers. As a matter of fact, Nero um, was emperor um, and and most likely under Nero's reign and rule and his persecution is where Paul and Peter, um, Peter crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded um, in Rome. Um, His persecution started in 64 AD and it was absolutely intense. Toward the end of the first century, there was an emperor, Roman emperor, that was way worse than Nero was. Um, His name was Domitian and he was ruthless. He's the one who exiled John to the Isle of Patmos where the book of Revelation um, came to John. So I'm going to go a little bit more into history uh, in a couple of weeks. We come to our day and time, and I mentioned this earlier. It's a lot of radical atheists in our world today, Marxist, communist, nations like china um, hate christians they are daily destroying churches arresting pastors in china on a consistent um, basis Um, you go to some hindu countries of the world today like india and indonesia and, and christians are pretty consistently killed almost daily in these countries and imprisoned and there's a radical aspect of the muslim world that hates christ and christians and so um this again just to say all of this that jesus said this would happen as he said this would happen by the way just for us in the west to know this and again this is just my opinion i don't have a prophetic word um if you don't know this the gospel has in many ways left the west and gone east the gospel is exploding in the eastern part of the world in africa um in iran the the, it is believed today that the fastest growing church movement and christian movement on the planet today is in the country of iran where it's against the law to talk about jesus heavy persecution that's there and yet god is exploding it i don't know what's going to happen with our country i daily pray that god would awaken us and awaken this country again but we may just go the way of europe where Europe doesn't care about Christ anymore. It's got a lot of shrines that look like it cares about God, but it doesn't. And we may just be that way. And I bet eventually in our country, we're not going to have fancy buildings built in the 8th century and 13th century, but we'll have mega churches that are no longer churches. They'll be something else. And that's potentially our future. I don't know that. I just, we kind of follow Europe spiritually. And that's just kind of the way things are headed. So what do we do about that? Well, I think we should care about our persecuted brothers and sisters who are in places like that. I think we ought to read about it. I think we ought to help as we can. But I think secondly, we also ought to know that this is just the way of discipleship. Jesus said it was going to be this way. We can't eradicate persecution. It can't be legislated out of the way. There's not enough money to fix all of that. It is just going to be the way that things are. And we are to expect what Jesus received that we potentially would receive that as well. And here's ultimately why all of that happens and takes place. And it's in verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know Him who sent me? There are two fundamental things that Jesus speaks about here as to why this, this hatred comes toward Christ and to his people. One is they just hate the name of Jesus. We love the name of Jesus. We can't say it enough. We can't sing and preach about it and live and wake up and and base our relationships on the name and the glory of Christ. But the world is not that way. The world hates the name of Jesus. We know that. You had a conversation with somebody over the last couple of years or just lately with someone about Christ and you share and you, just, you can just see it in their spirit. They just bristle about His name. And so they see His name as a restriction. They see His name as one to be reviled. And we get the brunt of that at times of their anger. And so there's a hatred that comes because of the name of Jesus. And secondly, Jesus said that there is a hatred that comes because the world just has no idea that God's given them a loving gift in His Son. And that's what He says there in the second part. Because they do not know Him who sent me. God so loves the world. He's given evidence. The Father's given evidence. The Son has given evidence. The Spirit has done so. And... The world doesn't believe that the Father sent Christ to set the world free from sin. This very idea is revolting to them and they oppose it in every kind of way. Therefore, they have determined to refuse to believe and they will persecute anyone who speaks of what they consider as utter nonsense. Now, I want you to go to one more place, 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we're going to wind this thing down this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. So in chapter 3, Peter speaks about persecution, um, speaks about the promise that is given to those, and now he's going he's gonna to give another perspective when Christians experience persecution. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised, listen to the language, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to Upon you to test you. That's the purpose of the trial, to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Notice the language here. But let him glorify God in that name. So in the name that the world hates, glorify God as the world hates you in the name that the world hates because we love the name. So let me give you some perspective here from Peter in line with Jesus who was there that night, heard these words from Jesus himself. Suffering, this may come as a shock to us. Suffering is not to surprise us for the gospel. That's so what Peter says here. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. By the way, this puts a dagger in the heart of the prosperity gospel which says that all Christians get our blessings from heaven just poured out into bank accounts and nice cars and nice neighborhoods and good health. no don't be surprised when you live boldly and passionately and there's a fire that burns in you to do good things that the world doesn't applaud that and there's a response and so we are we are not to see persecution as something as a surprise or strange secondly there's a purpose of the suffering for our faith and it is to test us it's a purifying test suffering is a Purifying test at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. This word fiery trial speaks of a furnace that would melt gold and silver to get rid of the impurities and to make it more pure. And ultimately all persecution and suffering is a refining. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 17:3: The crucible is for crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord, though, tests the heart. And I want you to notice, though, that this purifying test is not a consuming one, but it is a purifying one. It is one that, that purifies, not consumes us. And so, yes, there are, there are believers who lose their life, and, and there will be some likely that lose their life today. And the trial that they have been going through and that they will ultimately finish today, finish their race today, Though it might consume their body, it purifies them and then they step into the very presence of their Savior to be with Him. So suffering is not to be a surprise or seem strange to us. It, suffering's purpose is to purify our faith. And thirdly, there's a sacred test that comes to reveal the quality of our faith. And that's what He says. When it comes upon you to test you, it tests the quality and the genuineness of of our love for christ and then peter writes have this perspective verse 13 again here's this word it's just strange but it's a part of christianity strange of the human mind but rejoice in the midst of the sufferings test insofar as you share christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed Now listen to this. Again, it's been estimated about 43 million people have lost their lives for their faith in the last 2,000 years. And in every one of them, when they step from this life and they step into the presence of God and they see Jesus for who He is, there's a glorious reality to that. There's a glorious reality to us that when we see him, we will be transformed. John writes this in 1 John three twelve. Beloved, we are God's children now. So right now we belong to God. But what we will be has not yet appeared. We haven't fully seen who we're going to be and what that's going to be look like, what that's going to look like. And then John writes these words. But we know this, that when he appears, when we see him, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. In the purifying test of persecution, many believers are purified to the place that they begin to see the glory of Jesus in a way that they have never seen it before. And ultimately what Peter is saying here and Jesus is saying here, if we share in his suffering, we will also, how awesome is this, we will also share in his glory. If we share in his suffering, we will also share in his glory. So I'm just going to briefly touch on this and then we're going to get to our last point and finish finish up. Look at 22 through 24. We've got to read this again. He's going to talk about two things that he did while he was here in the midst of the Jews. If I had not come and spoken to them, so telling the words of the Father to them, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. Look, watch the repetitive. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also, 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen the works that I did, and they have hated both me and my father. Now, let me just make a couple points here. And here, here's, here's what Jesus is saying here. The words of Jesus and the works of Jesus remove all, remove all, in this context for the Jews, or initially, remove all excuses for humanity's sin and rejection of Christ. He says it here. I have come among them and I've, and I've spoken. I've given them the words. I have, I have done the works in the midst of them. And so they have no excuse now to, to reject this revelation, I 've spoken the truth, I've revealed the father 's words to them, I have done the father 's works in their midst, they have seen this, and they now, because of that reality, they have no excuse for their sin. Now now he 's initially pointing out, and I know it, it goes out from here, but he 's pointing out to the Jews rejection of Christ. Now think back over the last 2,000 years. Can you think of a people who have suffered more because of their rejection of Jesus? And they have suffered so much because of their rejection of who He is. So Pilate has had Jesus beaten. He's bloody. They punched Him in His face. They put a robe on Him and as the blood clots, so they ripped the robe off of Him. Then they put thorns on His head and they hit him in the head with the rods, these, or this, these poles and jab the thorns into his head and they bring him out before the people. And he, Pilate thinks he's going to win this, this looks argument with the people because he's found nothing wrong with Jesus and he says to the people, do you want Brabus, your criminal, or do you want Jesus, the king of the Jews? And Jesus is standing there before the Jewish people. They had been waiting for him to come. He's right there in front of them. He'd been in their midst doing ministry, teaching the words of God, doing the great works. Listen to their response on that Friday morning. It's Matthew 27, 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood you see to it about Jesus yourselves. And listen to these words. And the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Wow, the fulfillment of that has lasted for 2,000 years. The tragedy that is connected to the rejection of Jesus. And the point is this, and what Jesus is saying this. Those who hate Christians and hate Christ, they have no excuse any longer for the rejection of him uh, in regard to their sin. They are accountable for their sin. I don't don't get it all. I, I don't understand it all as to why the world hates my Jesus like they do. I've come to know, you have come to know and tasted how good it is to be in a relationship with Christ. And so it's so confusing to us to go, "Why? what's the case? What's what's the deal with the world? Well, Jesus closes it up with this. Look at verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. That's the sixth point is the hatred of God and its lack of a real cause. Now, I know not everybody in the room this morning lives in McKinney, but I'm just going to use it as an example. If you and I were to go down to the square this morning, cool square of McKinney that people love to go to, and it's awesome to go down there, and we were to survey and ask people questions and ask them two questions. If we asked them if they hated Jesus, the majority of the people who didn't go to church today and not going to go next week, hadn't gone in forever and ever and maybe went his kids, they would say, no, I don't hate Jesus. I don't have anything against Jesus. If we followed up and says, well, do you follow the devil? What would they say? No. No, I don't hate Jesus and no, I don't follow the devil. They're not greatly against him in their minds. They don't greatly... Some of them even watch their language. They don't take his name in vain because of cultural reasons or whatever the case may be. Most people, that we w- if we were to go talk with them this morning in downtown McKinney, they're not even aware that they're actually following Satan. They have no idea that they're following Satan, and yet they are. Most of them live atheistic, practical lives where they just fully ignore Christ in every kind of way until some kind of trouble comes, and then they call out and pray a prayer in Jesus' name to a God that they don't even know. They have no clue as to who He is. And most of them are not going to confess that they hate Jesus and His followers unless there is a demand from Christ and His followers that they be accountable to the gospel message. So in verse 25, Jesus quotes two passages from the Old Testament, about King David. Early on in King David's life, he was innocent, he was pure, He's being chased by Saul, and he was hated by a bunch of people, and it made no sense why they hated him. He was the anointed king. And so Jesus quotes Psalm 35, 19, that says, Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause. And then Psalm 69, 4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mightier are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. When David originally penned these words, his enemies had no cause to hate him in the manner in which they did. And so Jesus on this night reaches back to when David wrote this and he draws upon those very words to say, man, I'm just telling you this. Here's the reality. The world hates me and it has no realistic cause or reason to hate me they don't even know ultimately why they hate in both cases it was hatred without a reasonable cause jesus hadn't broken any law he had only been good and kind to all think of all the good that he did in the lives of people all over the nation in three years of ministry we cannot count the amount of good that he must have done and his love to express to others and accomplished in others. He poured out grace upon grace, he, mercy upon mercy, and yet he ended up being hated for no real reason except the darkness of the human heart. And that shows you how dark the human heart is. It's dark. Albert Barnes wrote of this text. He said, who has ever had a reason to hate the Lord Jesus? What injury has he ever done to anyone of the human race? What evil has he ever said or thought of any one of them? What cause or reason had the Jews for putting him to death? What reason has the sinner for hating him now? What reason for neglecting him? And there's not anyone in history in the world who has been more godly and good and loving and kind, who has been more rejected, who has been more hated, been more despised, been more mocked and belittled than Jesus. And every time that is done to Christ, And done to others. It is done. Listen to this. It's done without a cause. There's no cause to hate like that. None. I want to close with just two thoughts. Our world, gosh, has dramatically changed in two years and ten years. You can go back when the Supreme Court said it's okay for homosexuals to marry and that's become prevalent um, everywhere around us and the ripple effect of that we see with the gender crisis that's happening taking place and just the confusion about everything that's right and good at the end of Romans chapter 1 Paul's gone through and he's made the case of that people have rejected the creator and they've worshiped the creation and so God gives them over to their own sin to so eventually, they, people defile themselves sexually with one another in such perverse ways, just like we are seeing today. And Paul closes the end of Romans chapter 1 with these words. And it's one of the reasons why Christians aren't embraced, particularly in Western cultures. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Eastern cultures are very conservative, and so you don't see a lot of the things that we see in Western cultures. But we see this in Western culture. This is Romans 132. For though they know these people that have rejected they worship the creation not the creator. For though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them but give approval they they applaud it. They put it on television. permeates and we don't applaud it. We stand on the truth. And the world looked at that and says, you need to come to our side. And we're like, no, we're not. I love you, but I'm not affirming that. I'm not affirming that. So that's, that's the world's gonna continue to applaud untruth and recklessness. We are gonna con- we're not gonna applaud that. We're gonna continue to say, no, we lift up the name of Jesus. And the world's not going to embrace that. And we have to live with that tension. It's going to remain. So what is Jesus' practical advice according to John 15, 18 through 25? You may not like this. I guess you can email me this week if you want. His advice here is not to eradicate it there any teaching here who says make sure that nobody ever gets persecuted it's not taught by peter it's not taught by john it's not taught by jesus and it's not taught by paul now does that mean that we don't try to help persecuted brothers and sisters that's not what that means but it just means this our job as christians is not to try to eradicate persecution because jesus said it's going to happen and i think we have to trust his word more than ours so he says that, so we, um, we accept its reality. We try to help where we can. So what's hap- what happened to Christians in Afghanistan? I think Christians in the West should have gone to Afghanistan and got Christians out of there. That's okay. Some of the Christians didn't get get out and they had to stay and they've lost their lives. And that's also part of God's plan. And that's, that's way above my pay grade to explain all that. Other than God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than mine. And his purposes are way greater than my purposes. So the call is n- not Christians in the West to totally eradicate. We ought to help, we ought to help where we can. We ought to give money, resources, etc., where we can. And secondly, here's the practical thing that Jesus gives here. Live by his word. In the midst of the world that hates Christ and hates his people, you live by all the instructions that I'm telling you on this night. You live by this truth. And the world's not going to accept it. I've told you they're not going to accept it, but I've told you that if you want me, you live by this. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. He said that multiple times on this night as well. You will obey my commandments. So sometimes we have to do this. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I think somebody we know said that in a garden just a few hours after this. He wrestled with things and said, no, Lord, not mine, but your will be done. Let's pray.